Yes? Is there anything I can do for you? Huh? I mean, is there any reason why you're here? <laughs> or have you asked that question recently? Would you please, uh, uh, you will, just uh, back it off there a little bit there. We don't want to disturb those nice people out there, those serious, deeply concerned human individuals. So steep, so rich in soul. Oh, by the way, how is your soul tonight, friends? Probably bugs you to realize that a lot of people figure you ain't got none. I mean, that's total arrogance. You know, for one guy to say, I got soul, and you ain't got soul. <laughs> I mean, no, oh, really, that's total arrogance. Oh, yes, indeed. Well, now, uh, would you please uh, raise your baton there, doctor? There we go. You know, I hate to tell you this, but you know that I have a friend who faked his way through neurosurgery school. Yeah, faked his exams a whole bit. And now he's a very highly successful... Well, I don't want to add fuel to the fire. Listen, don't laugh, Mac. If the truth were out about how you're faking your life, I mean, you're in no position to throw no rocks, if I may use a Jersey expression. Slob, how would you like to hear a, uh, a hit record from... Now, Now we don't play records. I mean, this is not a record show, so don't uh, don't uh, make any uh, false or rash assumptions. I mean, that's why you're in so much trouble in your life anyway. You make too damn many false and rash assumptions. But uh, how would you like... One of our spies, he uh, is out in the Far East, and he will not say why he's out there, although he did imply heavily that certain things happened in northern New Jersey that made his uh, departure for the Far East not only uh, necessary, but a relief. And they're still after him. But it has, you know, has to, you know, one of these ridiculous uh, domestic problems. By the way, speaking of domestic problems, I would like to uh, salute uh, some of our more uh, swinging celebrities here. A little note from London, uh, in case you missed this, uh, social note from all over. Actress Mia Farrow, who was once Mrs. Frank Sinatra, and Andre Prevan, chief conductor of the London Symphony Orchestra, are expecting a baby next spring. And I think that's kind of nice. I like to see, you know, folks get together like that. A Prevan spokesman said the musician authorized the announcement, but would have nothing to say about marriage plans. So uh, we'd like to salute the nice young couple out there. And, uh, you know, I just lo- I, I, I like people getting together like that. It says that Mr. Uh, Prevan's wife is in seclusion. And... Uh, which is, you know, I, I, well, nothing wrong with that. Nothing. It's just social notes from all over. Now, uh, speaking of social notes, I just, you know, we've we just got to keep up with things as they go on. And uh, and uh, we've uh, received this letter from our spy out there, and he's in Hong Kong. Uh, at least he was in Hong Kong briefly. He says he's on his way to some place that's not on the map yet. He says, I hope I get there before they get there to intercept me when I arrive. And uh, I don't know what he was up to. I mean, I, I can't see that a guy could get, you know, get that much action in New Brunswick, New Jersey, that they would pursue him all the way to the outskirts of Hong Kong. But he said there's a fantastic hit record that is now just absolutely sweeping Hong Kong. And he said, I thought you'd enjoy a copy of it. And so we would like to play just a part of the, of, this is true, it's a current hit record in Hong Kong. Now, this is Hong Kong, Hong Kong. This is not the... Hong Kong, Virginia, which I've been in several times. 
And they have a hell of a pizza joint there, in case you're interested, if you ever visit Hong Kong. Virginia's great. That's Chinese pizza. But nevertheless, uh, I would like to play uh, the first portion of the big hit record. It is now sweeping the crown colony of Hong Kong. I love to say that. The crown colony of Hong Kong. And by the way, I hope that kid that, uh, remember a few weeks ago, uh, Nixon wrote to this kid about, you know, his plans in Vietnam and all that. This guy that was going to university somewhere. And it turns out Nixon picked the only monarchist registered at that... Un Did you know that kid was a, a monarchist? Didn't you realize that? Well, we'd like to salute that slob out there. This is Augustus Rhetoric the Third kid. And uh, you stick with it, and we'll bring back that court bacchanal, which is going to be celebrated the 12th of June every year in full costume, bacchanal costume. So, would you please get ready to listen to now the number one hit record on Lady All Hong Kong... Gong, come on. That's it. It's got to hit right there. Now let's start from the top now. Start from the top. No, 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 no. Start from the top now. I'm going to give you a lesson on how to hit quick cues. Now watch carefully. Here we go. Machine is ready. Here's where they announce it. And now, number 12, and going all the way up to number 3, and the card hit played in Hong Kong. Here it comes. You've been asking for it. This is a cousin Brucey, of course, for the Far East. We just sold the local product for the same thing that Cousin Bruce himself. Bring it up. Oh, what a groovy disc, listen. Oh, oh, listen, that guy hit that tambourine, man. Oh, I dig this. It's great. Oh, 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 sir, oh, oh, play that thing. Oh, well, you hear this vocalist, this chick vocalist. I guess it's a chick. And so tonight, Ed Sullivan concludes his saluto mysterious and scrutable east. Some of these lyrics are just too racy for the air, and we'll have to take that off, Chris, so you know. Chinese, uh, I, I, I dug that. <laughs> you want to hear the other side? The B side, they're very disappointed in this side. You know, they had a lot of hopes for it. And, uh, yeah, the B side, they had a tremendous amount of hopes for it. And you know, like many hopes that man has, it just was all blasted to smithereens when the A side made it all away. You want to hear the B side? Well, you can see why this one didn't make it. It's not quite as well realized. Pretty easy now. For God's sake, will you guys quit moving them garbage cans around? I thought Lindsay took care of that damn sanitation department, Myrtle. Gee. <laughs> uh, I kind of like that, didn't you? Very nice. <laughs> For people who watch television just for the fun of it. Bum, bum, bum. Sounds uproarious. Now, uh, if we'll, uh, if <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm getting, you know, so bad. I'm getting, I'm just such a bad person. Oh, uh, speaking of bad people, we have a note, uh, uh from, uh, 
from Sayreville, New Jersey, here. It appeared in one of the papers over there. And unfortunately, I don't know which one it was. But uh, I'll find it. Uh, I lost it. I always do. But uh, here's a little note from the paper over there in Sayreville, New Jersey. And uh, I think you ought to know about it. It's uh, They know where it is in Jersey. I'll tell you this. No, no they're not put off by any of this uh, fate, uh, you know, this business of uh, the panty waste. By the way, that's not a great phrase. They don't use that. <laughs> they don't use that one. Incidentally, speaking of great phrases, uh, I heard it today for the first time in a long time. I'm, I'm sitting there. You know, I'm being very calm in my office there, and I'm surrounded by all this crud and my little statues of Frankenstein and everything all around me. Uh, and uh, all of a sudden, I hear one of our top performers here at this concern station suddenly say a thing which I have not heard since I was eight years old. He says, don't make me laugh. I got cracked lips. He said on the phone to somebody, you know, uh, the instant I heard that, the hackles on the back of my neck went up like, uh, you know, like hackles do. And they were hackling all over the place because there, <laughs> there is a phrase. If you ever known somebody, in fact, we have all known people like this, probably maybe you're even one. Uh, people who have one thing that somewhere along the line, they got the mistaken idea that it was funny. And they have stuck with it all their life. They keep saying it all the time. <laughs> Listen, if that elevator starter downstairs once more says to me, once more, once more, he, he fills in the blanks. It depends on the season. He, he says, uh, uh, hot enough for you? Or cold enough for you? Uh, I know exactly where I'm going to kick him. And it ain't where you think, friend. <laughs> I got a better place. I'm just, you know, just to pay that. Now, the first three years he said it to me, I went through, yes, three. I went through the motions of, <laughs> I would go every time. I would say, <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> hi, George. And, uh, and he would, he has this, this uh, the, the peculiar frozen grin of a guy who's been telling the same joke now since he was nine. He must have heard that joke once. You see, he's about 86 years old. Yes, well, I don't know what his name is. He must have heard that joke when he was, a, you know, he's about nine years old, see. He heard some guy who was a Civil War veteran uh, come out and look around and say to his Aunt Fid, say, hey, is it hot enough for you? And he fell over. That's a real, you know, knee slapper, see? It's a sock dollager. And so he remembers this, and he's been saying it ever since. Oh! <laughs> it's, ah! and, and if I hear Nixon once more say, I want to make this perfectly clear. How many times have you heard him say that? And, uh, <laughs> oh, wow. And, uh, <laughs> hot enough for you, gang? Cold enough for you? Uh-huh. 8,422 people came up to me when the Mets won the pennant here, you know. And they said, well, the Mets, they won the pennant. It's Mets, Mets? Mets what pennant? Are you talking about, what do you mean, Mets? For the Mets, the Mets, the ball team, the Mets. The Mets. Well, are you talking about the Dodgers? No, the Mets. Let's see, what you do is pretend like you never heard of the Mets. That really confuses them. Uh, they'll say, where, where you been all you? What do you mean? I've been here all along. Mets. Uh, or when a guy comes up to you and says, I is it uh, hot enough for you? You say, what, what hot? Is it hot out? That completely takes the wind out. You know what, hot? <laughs> or a cold, cold? Is it cold out? 
all of a sudden he'll deflate like a balloon, you know, like one of these elephants with the pink bodies and the yellow legs that they sell on the street. He just, and the wind goes out. So well, it's hot out. Let's start from the top again. Is it hot enough for you? You say, hot, hot, hot. Oh, time and again, man faces his reality. He can't help it. And I would like to salute tonight. I would like to salute a couple in Sayreville, New Jersey, an Edison couple, staged a sit-down. I've been in Edison, and boy, you know, that's bad enough. And, uh, sure, it's... You know who Edison is named after? Edison, New Jersey? No. Clarence Sampson Edison, who once had the Chevy agency in Edison, New Jersey. And, uh, we'd like to salute Clarence out there, yeah? You know what he did, of course? He sold the Chevrolet agency in 1931 to buy the Willys Durant agency. That's right. Poor Clarence, and that's the way Edison, New Jersey, has been going ever since. We would like to salute uh, an Edison couple who staged a sit-down yesterday within a car that they are buying from a, from a car dealer on Route 9. I'll tell you what kind of a car it is. It doesn't matter. <laughs> and, by the way, friends, have you ever tried to... to uh, have you ever tried to uh, to compare what happens to you to the way the same thing is described in a TV commercial? Have you? I was in an airplane the other day, and I want to tell you this. I, I won't tell you what aircraft, what you know, what airline it was. I was in this big air, big air transport plane, tremendous DC nine or no, or a DC eight stretched, or maybe it was a seven or seven. Tremendous airplane, see. And we are flying to Los Angeles. Now, that's supposed to be a glamour flight, you know, from New York to L.A. So I get on, and there was about nine of us sitting in there, so disconsolate-looking people. <laughs> up we go. And we're up in the air about five minutes when uh, the stewardess comes back, and she says to me, she says, you want anything to eat? I said, yeah, that's exactly what happened. She said, you want anything to eat? I said, well, you know, since I got up at the crack of dawn, I haven't had anything to eat since three weeks ago Wednesday. It might help, you know. She said, all right. So I don't know why. And she goes back to the kitchen they have there, see. And, I, and she comes back out again. And she's got nothing with her now. She comes back. and she sure? And I said, yes. I said, what's the matter anyway? She said, ah, the food's bad. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. And so, so uh, I said, well, it doesn't matter, you know. I'm up in the air. I'm, an, I'm you know, beggars cannot be choosers at this point, And I can't get down to the uh, White Castle from here where the food really is groovy, you know. And I can't get down to need it, so uh, let's see what you can break out. And she says, well, what do you want? Do you want the uh, Salisbury steak? Or do you want... No, this is what she said. Do you want the Salisbury steak, or do you want the steak? You know, uh, the special uh, uh, Whoopi Mobile Airline steak. And I said, uh, well, how's the steak? And she goes... She nods her head. And I says, you mean? She says, yeah. I said, what did he make about it? She says, God only knows. And so I said, you mean you're advising me to take the Salisbury steak? What you're saying is hamburger, right? She says, yeah, that's it. <laughs> so she goes back. And the next thing I know, I've got this little cardboard plate, you know, in front of me. You know, these little cardboard things there. Oh, yeah. That's what they are, really. They're, well, all right. So they're plastic. So I get this little plastic thing. See, it's, uh, I'm sitting there in front of it. A little tiny hamburger, you see, with the grease running all over the top of it. 
and uh, and <laughs> this little hard roll. It's the kind of food they serve in the Trenton State Prison. Say, it's got a little hard roll, a little hamburger, and there's there's a little cup of, of uh, custard. You know the kind they make out of the you know the mix that comes in pickle custard. There, see, and that little pat of butter which is melted. A little, and there was, and I thought the finishing touch was so groovy. There was a little, just one little touch of cigarette ash on my butter when it came. See, so. <laughs> So I'm sitting there, see, high over Olathe, Kansas, and I'm looking at this meal. And the guy behind me, I heard this guy, there was one guy sitting right behind me, see, and we had all these seats all to ourselves, so he's sitting behind me there, and I hear this muttering, see, and, uh, and he, he, he leans over the seat, and, and he says to me, he says, uh, uh, hey, uh, you going to have a drink? I said, what? I hadn't talked to him up to this point, see, and he had this big, round, bulbous, red nose, and he had these watery eyes. See, you know the kind of guy, big, kind of watery eyes, kind of pink skin. And he said, you know, I'm having a drink. I said, uh, uh, there was no class on this. First class was eighth class on this plane. It doesn't make any difference because, you know, they're feeding the same up in front. You know, according to the new rules, oh, yes, they get the same jazz up in the front. The only thing is, instead of getting a plastic cup, they get one of these uh, wax paper cups. The, I'm really the only difference between first and class now is you got to pay for your drink in the front, in the back, and you you got a drink free in the front. See, so he says to me, "Sure, I, I filed that. That's true." So he says to me, "You got you have a drink?" I said, "Well, uh, uh, well, I, right now, after all, it's only eight thirty. I haven't thought about it yet." And uh, I, well, look, uh, fella, uh, fella, if you if you if you. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to ask, but uh, if, you, if you're not going to have a drink, uh, I'll buy in two drinks, and then I'll give you the money, and then you can hand them back to me. I said, what? Well, you know, she, she said I ought to have two. I had two drinks already, you know. And you can only, only get two. What kind of a cockamamie are they? Won't, you know, give me a, won't give me a guy a drink. And I said, you mean they won't give me another drink? And I don't know. She says, oh, you're going to give me two. I said, oh, I see. You want my two drinks. Is that what it is? And uh, you want me to buy them from the girl, and then I hand them back to you. And she, uh, well, yeah, you know, if you're not going to have a drink, I, I really appreciate it, you know. I ain't had a drink, I ain't had a drink since uh, five minutes after eight. And now it's 20 after already. I said, well, okay, I'll uh, think about it. What do you, what do you like? It didn't make no difference. It's anything else. It's, it's, it's uh, you know, it, 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 no green alcohol, nothing here. Uh, 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 well, uh, how about uh, how about the martini? I said martini at ten after eight. Gee, he's a serious one, see. And so the girl comes back and she is bringing me uh, this little thing. She's got this thing where they have the instant coffee, you know, that's made right aboard. It's made aboard the plane. Instant coffee. There's nothing. <laughs> Listen, I know instant coffee when I taste it. Instant coffee has no relationship to real coffee. No, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, I'm not putting it down. I'm simply saying it should be called something else. I mean, it's not coffee. Well, it's what you know. It's, it's, so she brings me the instant coffee. See, and I said, uh, "Well, excuse me, uh, baby." By this time, we were on that. And incidentally, have you noticed this uh, this one airline where this guy keeps saying Cooper, Cooper, Gladys, G, Cooper, and they're putting the pillows behind us? Well, uh, in our plane, our two stewardesses sat in the back there and argued all the way to California, see. 
about some guy. You know, there was a whole big thing about one of them wasn't paying the rent, and the other one didn't wash her underwear out and was leaving it in the sink. And I don't know, they were roommates or something all the way. And not once did Gladys G come out and say, "Can I brush your teeth for you, sir?" Or, you know, just a little more, a little heavy on the mushroom sauce. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know that commercial. I do them well, don't I? A uh, little heavy on the uh, mushroom sauce, Gladys G. You know what I mean. And he goes, boop, he disappears. Well, I don't know. If I tried that with this chick, you know, if they put mushroom sauce on that cardboard uh, piece of uh, Salisbury steak, it just would have been, uh, you know, a mushroom sauce on the cardboard steak. So I'm sitting there toying with that. Now, why in the world I had Salisbury steak at 17 minutes past 8, I don't know. I don't know. I guess they were already on California time, see? <laughs> we were in New York already, you know, it's 1 o'clock in the afternoon or something in California. So it's lunchtime. So I'm, I'm sitting there playing with the steak. And I said, oh, God, Gladys G? She says, yes. I said, Gladys, uh, how about a couple of martinis for me? And she looked at me with that funny look. She says, you don't look like the kind. I said, what do you mean? Are you implying that I don't look like I'm rotten enough to be an alcoholic? Is that what you're saying? Are you trying to say that I look straight? Are you trying to tell me that I look like a metropolitan insurance man? Are you trying to tell me that I look like I don't know what, you know, that I drink uh, Diet Yoo-Hoo? No, she said, you know, he's he's been trying to get everybody on the plane to buy him a drink. I said, oh, you mean, she said, yeah, your friend back there. She said, look, he's laying on the floor now with his feet sticking out in the aisle. And so, <laughs> I said, well, he's been successful, hasn't he? She says, well, no, not really. She says, you see that briefcase laying there beside him? I said, yeah. She says, well, you see that strap sticking out of the side of it? And I said, yeah. She said, that ain't a strap, that's a straw. I said, <laughs> So our little band of happy malcontents boomed on out over North Dakota, on and on and on and on. The chicks sitting in the back arguing about their boyfriend and how come you didn't empty the sink the other day when you wash your underwear in it, and uh, on and on. <laughs> and I thought, man, and, and then, then later on, one of the girls came back and sat down, you know, and I started to talk to her, and I said to her, uh, I said, gee, you know, it, it just isn't like on this plane. It just isn't like the way they have the commercials. You know how the commercials say, get up, up and away. And uh, the commercials always say, just once in a lifetime, get away and get in the world. Just say, oh, have you seen one of these uh, commercials that, that for one of the airlines? It literally advises you to sell your car, put your house in the hock, <laughs> and take a trip on their airline. In other words, it's saying, eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow... Cicero, Nero is showing up and he's going to fiddle while Rome burns. And you might as well buy the fiddle strings for him. You know, what the hell? Buy him a little rosin. And uh, so, I, I, you know, this is, this, is, this, is a, this is a strange air that's running through almost all the commercials today. A, a, a total decadent. <laughs> a, yeah, a really, a kind of, uh, it's, it's a kind of, uh, a total hedonism. Which is, uh, you know, a good word for that. It's a total hedonism, which is not only related to, to enjoying all the bodily functions to the full, but it's also saying there ain't no tomorrow, is what really the commercials say. You know, there ain't no tomorrow. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Listen, have you ever had a uh, nitol sling? Any of you ever tasted, had a, had a nitol sling? Good. Two nitol tablets, a little cognac, and and uh, just a touch of Grand Marnier, and uh, pour it over ice, and it is a boomer. I want to tell you, under the counter, just like that, zap. By the way, if uh, if you people 
are interested, as long as we're going to talk about booze here for a while. And that's something that never is discussed much, uh, really. Uh, have you noticed that in, in, the, in all the commercials for booze uh, or for you know, liquor, let's put it that way, for a hard, hard drink, they never imply that it does anything other than promote good fellowship or, you know, kind of a warm... Oh, no, they never say... Uh, uh, they never say... Yeah, they never, they never show a guy, you know, with his, with his uh, toupee on sideways, uh, you know, <laughs> leaning up against the building with his socks falling down. But the, nevertheless, I want to tell you, the absolute... Now, I've heard, I've heard a lot of rumors about drinks, you know. There's always a drink that's rumored to be the most powerful drink there is. And uh, I've never found them to be that way. I mean, they talk about, the, you know, stuff like the zombie. And to me, a zombie tastes like, uh, like uh, oh, kind of like a vaguely uh, fermented fruit juice with ice in it. It doesn't do much. And they always say, one to a customer. Well, that's probably all a customer would ever want. I mean, it, you know, it's a real bad-tasting drink. And so, uh, <laughs> and so, so I've, I've tasted a lot of these drinks, and, uh, they, they, you know, they, I've never seen anything particularly powerful about it. But let me tell you one thing. I know one drink that is the absolute, and I'll guarantee it, because I saw it almost completely devastate a group of six people who uh, are normally, uh, you know, solid, reliable citizens. This one drink, it, well, it was like a disaster area. It was un unbelievable. I saw people just, oh, you know, they, they just fell over backwards, screaming. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. I am not. Have you? What is it? All right, I'll tell you what it is. And it, it is one of the, strangely enough, one of the best tasting drinks around. It does not taste like a strong drink. In fact, that's, one, I guess, maybe one of the reasons why you get mousetrapped by it. But uh, it tastes like a great drink, and it is, except for one thing. You drink a little bit of this, you know, just drink along there, and everybody's talking away there, and you drink, and uh, suddenly you begin to have the uh, suspicion that you uh, have just experienced the first tremors of an approaching earthquake. And you know, doggone well, they don't have many earthquakes on 8th Avenue, and all of a sudden you feel the ground rocking a little bit, and you ignore it, because, you know, here's this nice drink you drink along there, and uh, suddenly somebody says, uh, hey, Fred, uh, you want it on the phone? And you try to get up. I saw one guy, seriously, trying to get up after one of these drinks. He tried to get up. He stood up, and he was a distinguished man. He stood up, and suddenly he just, without even, his knees didn't even bend. He just fell over like somebody had cut down the old pine tree. He just fell, <laughs> just fell over and, and with a total lack of expression on his face. Just clunk. Now, you want to know what that drink is? Well, I'll give you some some clues. To begin with, uh, it is not Diet Pepsi. I'll give you that clue. I'll, I'll, I'm sorry. I'll give you, and, and it is not made with gin. In fact, it is made primarily, the primary, I guess it must be the combination of elements that make this thing so powerful. There must be something in it. Uh, because taken individually, the elements in this drink are not necessarily that powerful. What is it? A French 75. Now, have you ever heard of that? Most of you have not. Well, now I'm going to tell you the history of the French 75, because it's a fascinating history. The uh, French 75 was named the French 75 during World War I. And it became famous as the drink 
that returning pilots from, and it was it was an Air Corps, or a, well, a fighter pilot drink, actually, and they named it this, that uh, the fighter pilots of World War One, the Allied fighter pilots, and in particular, the Lafayette Escadrille, which was composed of uh, American pilots, and uh, also so there were some French pilots in it, that was a, very, a whole fascinating, colorful crowd, but when they would come back from the patrol that they had been on, and uh, let's say a couple of guys were, were shot down and were, were killed, they, they were gone, you see, they would come back from the patrol, and they would do, do two, really two things. They would celebrate their return, safe return, and also toast their fallen comrades with the French 75, which was invented by one man. And incidentally, one of the most famous of all, the uh, Allied Aces, invented this drink. I'll award you a brass figure if you can tell me the name of the ace. Who, no, that drink persists today. You know, it's, it's very rare that a drink or any kind of a dish, let's say uh, uh, mashed potatoes, we'll say, or uh, let's say sweet and sour uh, uh, red cabbage, can be traced to one person. Actually, historically traced to one guy who invented it. No, it was not Rene Funk. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'll tell you who it was. It was Raoul Lufberry. Good morning, Connie. It was Raoul Lufberry, who was a famous... Oh, he's a famous flyer. As a matter of fact, uh, he's, he's known for two things. Uh, not only did Lufberry invent this drink, he was also a great ace, but Lufberry also invented a, a maneuver, uh, a, a flight maneuver, that bears his name, the famous Lufberry turn which is still part and parcel of the aerobatics. In other words, uh, when an airplane is flying in an aerobatic contest, they will perform this maneuver. And the Luftberry turn was a devastating thing that was done in combat, and he was a fantastic flyer. So Luftberry also had imagination in other ways. I mean, he was a great flyer, so he invented this drink. And uh, what was the drink? And by the way, Luftberry, if, if you're curious, Luftberry had a, had, a, had a very ironical death. Uh, that didn't have anything to do with the enemy. But uh, Lufberry was the leading ace on the front at that time, and he invented this drink. And uh, why he invented it was interesting, <laughs> he, uh, that the drink is composed of champagne and cognac. Yes, champagne and cognac. So what you do is take a jigger of, uh, of cognac, a good cognac, and you put this into a tall glass. It's a regular, like, almost like what you would do, uh, a Tom Collins glass, say, for example. And you put a jigger of this cognac in it, and then you, you fill the glass up with good, dry French champagne. And then you take a swizzle stick, and, of course, you swizzle it up, and it all bubbles and everything, and you put ice in it. It's, it's usually served with ice, and quite often it, could, it can be served with, a, with a, a twist of lemon in it, too. They may add that to it. But that is a French 75. Now, why it was, why it was invented was because Lufberry, who was an American, by the way, uh, you know, the, the Americans like hard liquor, generally, uh, whereas the Europeans like wine. And so here he was. He was an American uh, with a name like Wild Lufberry. It sounds kind of strange, but he was. He was from Connecticut, I believe. And so, uh, yes, he was. And so Lufberry, uh, when he'd come back, they would have this wine. Uh, they would, they've had champagne. They toast each other in champagne. And so he says, uh, you know, this stuff is, uh, you know, it's kind of nice, but it's for kids. And so <laughs> so he, he, he was trying to figure out a way you could give the champagne a little more pizzazz. Well, co 
cognac, you see, is a perfect uh, mix with champagne because cognac is, an, is a spill-off or a spin-off of the process of making champagne. And so he mixed it with cognac, and instantly he entered into bartender history, <laughs> the creation of this drink. First of all, uh, everybody who drank it uh, thought it was a groovy-tasting drink. You see, right away, they, they liked this drink. It tasted good. Well, the first day that they tried this thing, so he's drinking this drink, and so somebody says, well, are you drinking Rufe? And he said, uh, well, I don't know. He says, I have makes this drink. And so, you know, he spoke, uh, he spoke fluent French. I have makes this drink. And with that, uh, the French, uh, his, uh, you know, this flying French companion says, uh, what, what is it? It looks like the champagne. He says, no, it's not champagne. And n'est ce pas. Yeah, see, we'll play. His champagne was another good added. Was that? Uh, he says, would you like me to make one for you? And, of course, here they are. They're singing uh, something like, uh, oh, 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 well, you know, it's World War One, very romantic war. And, uh, and uh, they're standing in the, in the, uh, the officer's mess, and every once in a while, you can hear a Newport 28 or a, an SE5 or a Spad 13 roar over here. Ah, la, 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 la. You know, another, another guy going out to the Western Front to do battle with the dreaded uh, checker-nosed Falkers of the uh, Red Baron. And so he says, uh, would you like to try one of these, this drink? And uh, the Frenchman, whose uh, name uh, was Rene, and the, uh, this has all been recorded in history, he says, oh, oh boy, but of course. And so he, uh, he mixes them up, one of these babies, see? He says, oh, I, I will hide the over here. Do not watch. I wish to surprise you. So he, he turns his back to Rene, and he mixes him up this drink, which at that point has no, uh, has no name, you see. It's just a drink. He just invented that afternoon. So he says, he says, voila, here is a drink. And so Rene takes it, and he says, well, for, to, to our fallen companions, to uh, Les Amiens, to the friends who have fallen over the lines today. Uh, prosit. With that, uh, uh, with that, uh, Raoul Lufberry says, uh, ah, school. And so he takes the first shot of the, the, this historic moment. He drains it off. You know, those guys were real men in those days. Oh, yeah. They didn't sit around and, uh, you know, like little places down at Greenwich Avenue and talk over uh, oolong tea all afternoon and wear pink shirts. These were men, man. So he just takes this drink down the hatch it went. There was a brief moment, let us put it this way, a pregnant pause, a certain condition. And uh, suddenly, Rene, whose eyes turned suddenly to the, the ceiling without any control, he begins to topple over backwards. And he says, oh, companions, quickly, duck to the floor. We have been hit by the front 75. Quickly, quickly, they are shelling us. Well, he fell to the floor under the impression that he had been struck by a shell from a French 75, which, uh, for, for those of you who do not know the history of World War I armament, the French 75 was the most famous artillery weapon to come out of that conflict. It was a famous weapon, and it, it was known for its fantastic kick. The French 75, to begin with, when they would fire this little son of a gun, it was only a 75-millimeter gun. When they fired it, whap, it would go. And it would roll backwards about 50 feet every time they fired it just from the kick, yeah. And then when the shell hit, it didn't give a warning like other shells. You know, those big old 105s and so forth, they would go boom, not the French 75. It would go whap, whap, and that's it. <laughs> you are gone. And so Rene topples over backwards, and he says, oh, 
Jean, oh, Jean's, we are being struck by the 75. They have got us. And then that was the beginning of a great break. <laughs> oh, you come to the right place. This is a historical. Do I hear the sound of footsteps approaching on quiet cat's feet? Yes. You, you like Rene? Did you like Rene? He says, Jean's, well, uh, they are shilling us with the 75. Now, you think I'm kidding. The next time you go, and if you're of age, friend, the next time you go to a bar, say to the bartender, I will have the French 75, please. And you better have your insurance paid up. I don't know what there is in that stuff. Oh, yes, it's fantastic. And uh, and so you've come to the right place. This is the other side of the coin from Julia Childs. And, uh... <laughs> oh, yeah, tomorrow night... I'm going to give you my uh, own special personal recipe for slum gullion. And uh, nothing like slum gullion. Make it with spam and uh, dried the potatoes. Oh, it's just going to be fun, friends. So you drop in. To- oh, yes, it's good. Oh, I'm not kidding. Oh, you want to hear more of, of Rene? You like him? He's just always saying, he's like, oh, but of course. It's the way Rene always talks. But of course. Incidentally, he survived World War I and is now a very, very well-off Peugeot dealer living near Marseille. He is still drinking French 75s and is now busily taking the cure. Oh, but of course, is the way he would put it. He is, uh, you know, responsible for, uh, for uh, defeating uh, 21 of the Bosch, uh, including... Oh, well. <laughs> uh, silly program. Why did you waste your time for crying out loud? You could have been doing push-ups and knee bends. There you were sitting around listening to this jazz. And I was doing it. Talk about wasting time.